it's lovely to be here. I, I was told by my family to expect that it's a very relaxed uh, time, and it has been a relaxed time, it's been a lovely time, and uh, although I preached in many churches, I think I can say this church is just a little different from what I've been used to. Just a little different. However, I want to start off now by saying something, not through Romans, but um, something in, in general, and then we're going to come on to Romans 6 after, because the, the, the book of Romans, you've been singing challenges tonight, but the book of Romans, it, in Romans 6 I should say, it's nothing, it, it is not a challenge. And I'm going to talk particularly about baptism, I'll challenge him about that, because, because that's um, a very fundamental part of this chapter. Anyhow, let me, let me say this. As Christians believers, and I don't know how many of you here this evening would classify yourself, if that's the right word, as a believer in Jesus, the most wonderful thing anybody can do is to come to Jesus. And if there's anybody here this evening who hasn't yet met Jesus in a personal way, then the best time is tonight. It really is. And Romans 6 will help you to think about that and, 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 uh, and realize how wonderful it is. Anyhow, let me just say this. As Christians believers, we all agree that the world we know that God has made, and don't forget, God has made it, is wonderful. It's full of wonder. It's sheer beauty. It's breathtaking. So, I want to ask this question. We're going to come on to Romans 6, don't worry. But, um, it's the beauty of where we live on this earth. It's, it's just breathtaking. It is. And I wonder why, I want you to think about this, why do we spend time considering the universe, like going to Mars, for example, when everything of real meaning and value is here, on this earth? It is. Why? Because God made the earth. Where do you think it all came from? Listen, this is going to look funny now. There are hands. Where do you think the hands came from? From God. Now listen. What do you think they came from? They came from God. And you know, if we didn't have these, what could we do? And I, as I was thinking about this, I thought, there was Jesus when he was a young lad. He was in the carpenter shop, and Jesus had these. Otherwise, he couldn't have known what he did. And for that matter, Mary Betty, who I believe is a lovely Christian, how could she make those wonderful cakes if she didn't have these things, you see? So, so we live in, in a wonderful world, and um, the greatest thing that God has done, if I do ask you that question, what's the greatest thing that God has done? I wonder what you'd say. Well, I'm going to suggest to you that the greatest thing God has done is to reveal himself. And of course, with God comes the Trinity. And so, what a wonderful thing that is. And that's all done through his word that we've been thinking about tonight, the greatest writing ever created. Oh, there's so much we could say about that. So much stupidity in the world. And we have in our hands there the greatest writing ever created called, of course, the Bible. So, we're going to consider one of the most challenging books uh, within the Bible. And that, of course, is Romans chapter 6 and so on. Now, before we go into that, let me just give you a quick reminder of what Paul said to his son in the faith. It's important, actually. 
And he said this in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, one of the famous 316s of the Bible, there are plenty of them, and you all have a meaning. He said, all scripture, not some, not most, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, one person says, it is God breathed. So it means it's wonderful. It means it's perfect. It means it's right. It means it's challenging. And we're going to be challenged tonight by this very book. And it's given to us, of course, by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promised it would, and she would, he would do it. In uh, John 16, he said, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing? In this crazy, mad world we live in, where, where so much is just wasted time and rubbish, that the Holy Spirit can guide you into all truth. Now, what do you think all truth means? It means that you know how to live. And Romans 6 is going to tell us, as, as we go through, about the, the wonder of, what, of what's in the Scriptures. Now, let, let's begin then with, with Romans chapter 6. Paul is writing, and as I've been studying this thing, I thought to myself, how on earth was Paul able to say all this? And it's 2,000 years ago, and if it was applicable then, as it was, and ever since, thank God it's applicable this evening in Bath. It really is. It's applicable to us. And it comes from the Holy Spirit, of course, as Paul writes uh, in AD 67, and he's writing not from Rome, he hasn't yet visited Rome, although he's writing about it and, and challenging Rome, he, he wrote it from Corinth. Now, I have to warn you, first of all, that this chapter is very doctrinal. If you love doc doctrine, you're in for a treat tonight. If you don't like doctrine, you can, go, you can say you can go to sleep. That's not the right thing to say, is it? But, but it, it, of course, it takes some uh, rewarding. And you know, there's, uh, it's worth remembering, there are so many phrases that are, that are uh, committed to us in Romans chapter 6, I don't know whether any of you ever take notes as, as we go through, but if you wanted to do so, feel quite happy to do so. Um, but but in, in every part of Romans, he writes from his vast experience of Christ, of his, what, it, what he determines and says, his life in Christ. Paul was full of these wonderful phrases, and his life in Christ is certainly one of them. Now, this chapter is based on two issues, two highly important issues, and they are, you know this of course, you should know it, first of all, that sin is real. And don't we know that today? Don't we live in a world, you can hardly pick up the, the radio or the television without hearing about the sin that's going on all the time. Not only all over the world, not only in uh, you know, with these dreadful people uh, uh, in um, now, but also in this in this country of ours, you hear about sin all the time on the television. In fact, sometimes I really do. Sometimes I say I've had enough of this, and I put it on. I can't bear it any longer. 
But, but, the, but sin is real, and it must be understood and considered in that light. And the second issue is this. As Christians believers, this is the important thing, it must not, and it need not, captivate our life. Because you see, how can we say that? Because we have, in chapter 6, and in the scriptures, the perfect answer. Not a good answer, the perfect answer. And it's worth listening to. Okay, so let me just, let me just read this in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. This is what uh, Paul Watson says this. Don't you know that all of us, ah, that's good to know, thank you, who were baptized into Christ Jesus, these are words we can't really understand, but we can take them and make them our own. Uh, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Strange words, aren't they? Do you know what they mean? Difficult. If you're not a Christian, especially. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have, live a new life. And that phrase comes through time and time again, that we may live a new life. Some of you may say, well, I, I could do with a new life. And, and if there's anybody here this evening who's unhappy, anybody this evening who doesn't understand the true meaning of life, anybody who feels, well, what, however you do feel. See, it's difficult for me as a Christian who's been a Christian for, well, a long, long time now, sometimes always to empathize with people who have real problems. Because I've never had, in that sense, real problems. Both up in a Christian home, and I, I, I'm, as Tim has said, we, we're privileged, really privileged to have a, a Christian family and Christian uh, grandchildren uh, grand as well. It's um, very difficult sometimes to, to comprehend that uh, as we uh, live our lives. It says this, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father listen to this phrase now we too may live a new life anybody here this evening wants to live a new life want to change your life anybody this evening is feeling unhappy with your life are you going through problems well Tonight, this evening, you can live a new life in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? If we have been united with him in his death, listen to this bit, we will also certainly be united with him in his resurrection. Now, did you ever think of baptism as being connected with resurrection? Well, we're going to talk about that right now. Now, in these verses, Paul emphasizes that baptism for a believer is so important. So important. Okay. Let's see how important it is, shall we? So as we go into a baptism, uh, there are three things we do. First of all, we go down into the water. What does that signify? That signifies death. 
strange, isn't it? It does. And then in the water, that signifies burial. It doesn't last long, of course, fortunately. Um, and then rising up from the water, do you know, I, uh, I've been baptized, but I, I had to re-look re at that, as it were, because coming up from the water tells us about resurrection. Resurrection, isn't that marvelous? Now, Jesus himself, as you probably know, was baptized by John the Baptist, and it's very clear in Mark 1, chapter 7, and I'm looking at my Greek New Testament, and what the Greek actually says is, when Jesus was going, going up from the water. So the baptism is within the water, and so on, as we've been saying. Now, this is all symbolic, of course, because it's only water, but in the same way, uh, as we follow Jesus' words, as he was speaking to his disciples in the upper room, at the end of his life, he, he said, his bread and his wine, we take that as communion. It's only bread, it's only wine, and yet, to faith, as we used to sing, the solemn sign of the heavenly and divine, we give thee thanks, O Lord. Now, let me say this. It's very important, this. Baptism follows conversion. You must get that right. Baptism follows conversion. So we come to Jesus first. Nothing but nothing precedes that experience. Isn't that wonderful? So, what was the, what has a simple and yet profound obedience in baptism, what's it done for us? Well, it says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 now, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, what's, what's the, um, uh, the result? The result is that we too may live a new life. Anybody here this evening would like to live a new life? Anything wrong with your life? Are you worried about your life? Are you upset with your life? Are you thinking that there's something in life more than you've got at the moment? Are you in despair? I wonder how many people today are living in despair. Well, what Jesus promises us through our baptism is that we may live a new life. Now, what happened to Paul? Remember, he was on the Damascus Road. He was heading to persecute the Christians. And God spoke to him. And after that, what did Paul do? He lived, this is making it all simple, he lived a new life. Now, this new life was taught at the church I was brought up in. It was a brethren church, a big church in Cardiff, Ebenezer. But uh, after we'd been uh, interviewed by the elders that we were truly believers, um, we, we were told very clearly that we now will be different. We're now living a changed life. And you know, it's true. There was a wonderful hymn, we, we don't sing it these days, but it was a vicar, funny enough, who was a good man, I'm sure he was a good man, 
And this was in New Zealand, and he was a man who liked to walk up mountains and so on. And he, he, was, he, he walked up mountains many times, but one day, he came face to face with Jesus. You don't know the story. And he said this, uh, although I, I walked up to these mountains uh, many times, I didn't see it as I should have seen it. But he, he, he wrote these words, something lives in every hue Christless eyes have never seen. Sad that, isn't it? It's true. So if, you've got, if you're not a Christian this evening and you don't see the things as we're going to come to that again in just a moment. Now, uh, I don't know how many, as I say, in this church have actually given their lives to the Lord. But when's the best time to do it? Tonight. Of course. It's wonderful. It truly is wonderful. Now, what this, what this does is to take us to a further practical necessity. Because as non-believers, if there's anyone here this evening who's not a believer, that's a non-believer, then Paul uses this amazing expression. He says that you are slaves to sin. Perhaps he didn't think about that ever. But, but that's true, you're a slave to sin. We come, we come to what the word slave means to something else in just a moment. Um, but what a position to live in, to be a slave to sin. And as, as we look around the, the lovely country we live in, I, I think that this country we live in is the most cultured country in the world. I do believe that. And we're privileged to live in this country. But it, that, that doesn't make us Christians, of course. And uh, if we're not a Christian, Paul says, we're a slave to sin. Okay, let's turn away from Romans 6 for a moment. I want to talk about something different. Just outside Rome, some of you may have been there, there's a huge, rather beautiful, wonderfully made edifice. It's called the Colosseum. Some of you have been to the Colosseum, I expect. I'm sure you have. But did you know that the, the Colosseum, it was built, or it was finished last month, in AD 72. So although Paul didn't know in his finished state, there's no doubt about it that the plans had been going on for a very long time. So he knew all about it, I'm sure. But in AD 72, the Colosseum was built. Why? For the evil pleasure of the populace of Rome. Evil. Not just jokes and things of that nature, but for evil. And the one way to keep the people satisfied was with the most grisly, barbaric murders and executions possible. And we know that's true. That's not fantasy. It's actually true. Now, I, I think... Um, some of you may have seen the famous film Quo Vadis Domine, okay? And you, you, you may remember that uh, its depiction of Nero by, by um, 
Peter used to know. It wasn't fantasy, as most films are, of course. It was factual. Because what, what that, that, that film depicts actually went on. What a terrible thing it was. But there, so if ever there was a community that was enslaved by sin, it was that one. All those, in fact, in the city uh, where, Colosseum, where the Colosseum was. Now, if those dates we've used about Paul and Colosseum are correct, then you wonder whether or not Paul would have known about it, but there's no doubt about it. The Colosseum is in a time, sometime in being built up. And so Paul, I'm sure, would have, would have been able to say about it. So, that, so uh, in Paul's language, this is wonderful, Paul's language fitted, if that's the right word, the sin in Rome and particularly in the Colosseum. Now, there's so much clarity about his meaning and the part of sin. And the sin didn't arise, of course, just when the Colosseum was built. It would have been planned, I'm sure, for some time. Now, verses 11 and 12 in this passage are key verses as well that we looked at. Let me read them to you. Paul says this in verse 11 to 14. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now this is tremendously important. Just let this phrase stay in your mind, because he says this. Therefore, do not let sin reign, reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desire. Now, we all know that we're sinners. Of course. We'll come to that in a moment. But there's one way that uh, we should understand it. We can obey its evil desires if we let sin reign in our bodies. Anyone here this evening is conscious of sin in his or her own life and feeling that there's something they can't do, something they want to change in their life, something they want to be different, be better? Of course. So Paul goes on to say, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its evil desires. Did you know that you're obeying evil desires? That's what Paul says. And you should know. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Isn't that lovely? Righteousness. For sin, here's the important one, for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Now Paul's therefores, and there are plenty of them in the Bible, are very important and the key to his thoughts and meaning. So when he says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, for sin shall not be your, your, your master, I couldn't help thinking of the two instances in the Bible when two great men let a 
one instance, sin reigned in their body. One in the Old Testament, and you probably can think who that might be. That was David, of course. David is one of my great heroes of the Old Testament. I think he was a wonderful man. But there was a sin, of course, uh, with Bathsheba. And, of course, when we, when we start to go into sin, we never know what it's going to end. And, of course, not only was his adultery or his lust uh, the end, it was, of course, it ended in murder, as we know. And uh, yet David was able to repent. And Psalm 51, if you've ever read that, Psalm 51 it shows us uh, David's uh, repentance. That's where he was living a new life because he repented. Now, uh, remember the Apostle Peter? In the New Testament, you know, if there's one thing that really, really puzzles me, it's how Peter could deny the Lord. And if you, and if you read that passage in the Gospels, uh, where Peter said, I didn't, I didn't know him. And the words that Peter uses, they're amazing. And when you think that Peter had been with Jesus for three years, He'd heard, uh, he'd heard Jesus speak, the wonderful things that Jesus speaks. He'd seen the things that Jesus did. Yet he could say, I don't know him. I don't know him. Now, I've, I have developed the, the habit, if, when I talk to people about the Lord, of saying, well, if you don't know the Lord, there are two things you should know. Quite simple. And Peter knew them in the end, because he, he, he was able to be, uh, uh, come to repentance. But the two things about Jesus are quite simple. He, he's, a great, he's the greatest man who ever lived, simply, A, because of what he did, obviously, but also because of what he said. No man ever spoke like Jesus, ever. So when Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know that, uh, the way? Uh, Jesus said to Peter, to, to Thomas, rather, not just uh, Thomas, look, I know the way, or I show the way. You know what he said? I am the way. Do you know, no other man who has ever lived, remember this, has ever been able to say those words. And I often wonder, you know, when Peter was standing before Pilate, remember Pilate's question? What is truth? Jesus could have said, I am the truth, but he didn't. He didn't speak to Pilate at all. So you, you know that sometimes Jesus' silence is even worse than his, or more hard than his condemnation. But, it, but he didn't say that. So, how did the Apostle Peter get over what he said? Well, you know, don't you? Because at the... the uh, Sea of Galilee, or the Sea of Tiberias, as it was known in those days, um, Jesus said to him, Peter, do you love me? Peter, second time, do you love me? Peter, third time, do you love me? And Peter was so upset by the third time, typical Peter, he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
So as Peter denied the Lord three times, so the Lord got Peter to say that he loved the Lord despite his denial three times. Um, so had Peter fallen into sin? Of course he had. It was a grievous sin. How could he do that? But he didn't. But of course he was given forgiveness because uh, the Lord, despite his three years of knowing the Lord, and then what happened? Within a couple of days, the same one, how Jesus changes our lives and makes us what we can't be ourselves, Jesus, uh, Peter pre- produced the most glorious sermon in the middle of Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2, and if you've never read that chapter, uh, never read that sermon in, in uh, Acts chapter 2 after Pentecost, it's really worth reading. So that's fundamentally what, what the, the first part of um, Romans chapter 6 is telling us. Now turning rather more briefly now to the second part, oh my goodness, of chapter 6. The idea of slavery is repeated, but no, it's not a slavery to sin. Isn't this wonderful? It's a slavery to righteousness. That's good to be a slave to righteousness, isn't it? What a contrast. So Paul says this in Romans 6, 17 to 18. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching that Paul gave them, to whom you to which to which you were entrusted, you have been set free from sin, and you become slaves to righteousness. But you say, "Hang on, there's a problem here. We're still capable of sinning." True, that is true. But what Paul's been saying is, you mustn't let sin reign in your body, because you, we do sin, of course. Uh, but the benefits, as Paul says here, is now leads to holiness. What is holiness? Simply means being separated in every way to God to do his purpose. And we can do that. So Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this, as I close, for the wages of sin... Let's be quiet a moment. The wages of sin is death. What a verse. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Tell me something. Have you ever thought about eternity? It's very difficult to do it, you know. Now, if you look up to the sky on a sunny night, what are you looking at, actually? You're looking at eternity. That's what you are looking at. Because there's no end. There's no end to it. And then the very final verse of that lovely part of the chapter reminds us as if to emphasize that the wages of sin brings death, but God's greatest gift, the greatest gift of all, is of course eternal life. Anybody here this morning has not got eternal life? Not sure of it? Anybody yet still uh, captivated by sin? Anybody yet hasn't come to know Jesus as their own personal saviour. Well, we've been thinking about that this evening. And all these things that Paul's been 
10 years ago, 2,000 years ago, it's as meaningful as if Paul was coming through that door tonight and telling us. Because if, if nothing has changed. So if there's anyone here tonight, as I close, let me just say to you, now is the, uh, the, the time to turn to Jesus. Now is the time to put away the ravages of sin in our lives and come to know Jesus and come to know the beauty of what God says in his word that although we may be sinners uh, we, we can be forgiven by coming to Jesus and, and knowing his forgiveness so let's hope these few words have said a few things to you closing fragment yes okay let's bow our heads in prayer then for a moment dear